The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now to your word, you who fashion these universe, this universe and these galaxies and every one of us according to your design. And we want to submit to you as the creator. And we want to have our affections raised for you as the creator. And we want to walk in the glad obedience of knowing and loving our creator. So I pray that you would come in this place through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, exhort those of us that need an exhortation, encourage those of us that need an encouragement, Lord, speak into each heart by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you hear me talk often about the various ways our culture is thinking about itself, thinking about what's important, and I, I often do that because I want you to know the air you're breathing. I want you to know who your neighbors are because every culture at every time has certain ways it thinks and values things that make it unique. And I think that there are a few questions that every culture at every time and in every place throughout all of history is trying to answer. And then the way that they answer those questions is kind of this cultural ethos that you'll come up with. In fact, I think that you'll see those questions trying to be answered in every election cycle, right, in every TV ad that you see in all sorts of religions, including atheism, and with every new social movement and revolution that comes. You'll see these questions being answered, and the way a culture answers them will shape that culture. So what, what are the questions that everyone's trying to answer? Well, I'm going to put them into three categories. The first one would be, what is precious in life? Or, or what's worthwhile in life? What has worth and value? What's precious? What should I care most about? The second one would be, what's the purpose of life? Like, why are we here? What are we supposed to do? And the third one, based on what's precious and what's the purpose is, where's my place in this life? Right? Where, where do I belong? Where do I fit in in this thing that's bigger than me? There's an undercurrent in our culture, and I'm guessing even in, in your heart, there's an undercurrent sometimes in my heart, even as someone saved and redeemed, that just knows that I'm a part of something so much bigger than me. I'm a part of something so much grander than me. And so much of the world is looking for that place that finally feels like they've found what's precious and where they have purpose and where they belong. And so with those questions in mind and without God as the answer, what we have is a world with lots of consuming but very little lasting satisfaction. Do you see that all around you? Lots of consuming and very little satisfaction. A world with lots of searching and very little lasting 
finding, settling, a world with many different ways to identify and very, very little lasting security. Do you just feel that in the air you breathe around you, right? All this consuming, no satisfaction. All this searching and no finding. All this identifying and no security. Last week, we talked about this idea, we'll keep bringing it up, called the covenant triangle. The reason, the way the whole world was made to function. God creates his place for his people to enjoy his presence. His place, his people to enjoy his presence. This covenant triangle. And my thesis is that all of the answers to the longing of a lost world are found in that reality. That's where they're all found. And today we'll see so clearly that what is precious and what the purpose is and where our place is is found in that covenant triangle. This people that knows their creator and loves their creator and enjoys their creator. And my prayer is that we in here, most of us, as the covenant people of God, bought by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, that we'd have fresh clarity and fresh rest in our souls, ourselves, and that we'd offer that clarity and that rest to a world full of confusion and unrest. That's what I've been praying this week, that God would do that among us. So let's dive in here to point number one. God creates humans to reflect him in his creation. So remember, the earth was formless and empty and it was dark. Then God, by the power of the Spirit and by his word, brought form to what was formless. He filled what was empty and he brought light and life to the darkness. In days 1 to 3, we saw God form by his word and spirit. In days 4 to 6, we saw God fill by his word and by the Holy Spirit. And we left a little before day 6 was done. So we kind of left in the middle of day 6 and left that for this week. In fact, we left as God was about to form which many theologians would call the crown jewel of his creation. That is, human beings, male and female, made in his image. The crown jewel of God's creation. So look at the beginning of verse 26 and then verse 27 where it talks about him doing this. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This creation is different. <laughs> this creation is higher. This creation has more worth. You'll probably remember a few weeks ago, during my sermon on the sanctity of life, and ethnic harmony when I told you the story about Stone and his grandma and the horse, right? Of course you remember that. That's what you remember about my sermons, my kids. But well, here's what I said. I was talking to Stone about the image of God and the intrinsic worth that all of the world knows that humans have. And we were sitting at Buffalo Wild and we were talking about this and I said, Stone, so if grandma and grandpa, they live in the country in Iowa and they have horses that our kids Love. So let's just imagine grandma and grandpa fell on hard times. And grandpa had to make a decision to get rid of the horse or grandma. I said, what would he do? And Stone, of course, said, get rid of the horse. Right? That, that's my grandma. 
That's grandpa's wife. That's mom's mom, right? She's a human being. She has this worth. They're all sorts of components of being made in the image of God. Our ability to relate, our ability to create, our ability to bring order, to have dominion, to be moral. And our image of God is some combination of all those things. But we all know there's this intrinsic worth to being a human that's different than being a cat. Right? More different from being a cat than the dogs. Right? But we all know that there's this difference. This difference between animals and humans. I was listening to a sermon where this passage was being preached on recently. And the preacher said something like, you don't see police doing investigations into antelope murders in Africa and throwing lions in prison. Why? Why doesn't that happen? Because they don't have the intrinsic worth of human beings. Right? Because there's no need for that because human beings are made in the image of God. And it's in the reality of being made in the image of God that we get the answer to what is precious in the world. What's most precious in the world? What's the most precious part of creation? And the answer is you. The answer is human beings. Human beings are most precious because they reflect the God with infinite preciousness, with infinite worth. In other words, you are worthy and precious and deserve dignity and respect because your worth and your preciousness is derivative. It's derived from God. In fact, if we lose the image of God, I think we lose all morality, <laughs> all dignity, all respect. We lose everything. Now, why do I say that? If God is not the creator who determines worth, then we determine worth. And if we determine worth, then we get to decide who's worthy rather than looking to God who says all human beings are precious. Indeed, the world can't figure out what's most important, can't figure out that all human beings are precious because they don't know God. And even here's what's amazing to me too as I studied it this week. Even after the fall, when human beings spurned their creator, rebelled against him, the Bible still talks about human beings as precious and made in the image of God. So listen to Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. That sounds harsh, right? Why? Why is that true? For God made man in his own image. That's the reasoning. That's the morality. Because man's made in the image of God. Or James, in uh, chapter 3 of James, he's talking about the tongue and all it can do for good and all it can do for bad. And he says, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father, good. And yet with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And his point there is, how can these things be? How can you bless with your tongue your Lord and Father and then curse those made in his image. See, it doesn't make any sense. He's reasoning from the image of God. This is why pornography is so ugly. This is why abortion is so ugly. This is why human trafficking is so ugly. This is why abuse is so ugly. This is why 
racism is so ugly. This is why slander and vitriol on social media towards those made in the likeness of God is so ugly. All of these things are symptoms of a world that has forgotten that God is the creator and that human beings are made in his image. This is why in 1 Peter, (laughs) Peter's writing to the church being persecuted by the Romans and he says to them, Honor everyone. Honor the emperor. Why? (laughs) They're made in the image of God. They're worthy of honor and respect. This is why the church cares about going to orphans and widows and shut-ins and immigrants, sojourners and strangers because they're made in the image of God and easily forgotten and treated as if they're not. Now notice one more thing with me. We've already seen God creating by his word and his spirit, which begins to make us think about our three-in-one God. There's a few different interpretations of this passage, but I think in this passage we have another teaser here of our three-in-one God. Notice that God, singular, says, let us, plural, make man in our image after our plural likeness. So God, singular, again, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, singular. Male and female, he created them, plural. In other words, I think the unity and diversity of God as three in one are on display in a beautiful way in the first poem of the Bible in verse 27 as God creates humans, male and female. So it matters We we have to get this. It matters that men are men and women are women because God is reflecting the unity and diversity of the Trinitarian God in his image bearers. That's what he's doing. Being a man or being a woman is not mainly about us. Not mainly about us. It's about reflecting the glory of God. If God is the creator and we are made in his image, even after the fall into sin, then we will flourish most and he will be glorified most if we reflect it according to his design. That's the beauty of how God does things. When we do things the way he gets the most glory, we will flourish the most. We don't have to choose between those things as Christians. And we know that our world is lost and confused. Right? This doctrine is so, so huge in speaking into the place our, our world and our culture is at. We live in a time when it's being taught that I get to choose my gender or that you can be more than one gender. Right? We live in a time that's teaching that. Our culture believes that we can represent our identity based on how we perceive ourselves. Not how we were created. Adults, you have, I'm sure, you have co-workers living in this reality. This is not a, a minimal thing right now. You have co-workers living in this reality. Teens and kids. You have friends at school living in these realities. I know that you do and you know them. We have a whole day coming up in March where we're going to be doing a sexuality seminar here and addressing these things more in depth, four different sessions. We'd love you to come because we want to equip you in these things. And I hope you will come. 
But I'm just going to say two things now. First, we have to speak and live the truth with humble and courageous clarity. We have to. It's the only loving and image-reflecting thing to do. We can't choose to reflect something different. We're creatures. He's the creator. We have to do what he says. We have to say that boys are boys, girls are girls, and men are men, and women are women. And we have to say it because who else will say it today? Who, who else will say it today? And we're not saying it for ourselves. We're not saying it for political purposes. We're not saying it so that we can have our little doctrine that makes us feel good. We're saying it because of God's glory and human flourishing. We're saying it because the Bible teaches this is how it's designed. We live in a culture saying we are God and flourishing comes from following our own design. But it's a lie that will not deliver on its promises. And the world will end up over here in a ditch without any help. Our happy speaking and living the reality of our creator's design is a light in a crooked and twisted generation. So we have to speak with Humble and courageous clarity. And second, we have to speak and live the truth with humble and courageous compassion. So we need clarity and we need compassion. Genesis 3 is coming. It already happened, but it's coming for us in a couple weeks. Right? The, the fall is real. Sin has corrupted everything. So who else will say that sin is deadly, but there's hope and healing and salvation and satisfaction outside of our sinful self-focused confusion. Who else will say that? Who else knows besides the church the seriousness and reality of sin and the need for a savior more than the church? I mean, are you sitting here worshiping God because you had it all together? Are you sitting here worshiping God because I don't struggle with any sin? Or are you sitting here worshiping because you're a great sinner? You know your sin. You say with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. You'd say, my heart is desperately wicked. And yet he came and lived the life I couldn't live. And he died the death I deserved to die. And he rose again so my sins are forgiven. Oh, I know sin. I know sin in myself and I know a savior. And I know you don't have to live your life in bondage to your sin. Who's going to say that? Who's going to say that? Now I want to say now, if you're here now, or you're watching online and you're experiencing this kind of confusion, this kind of brokenness, you're in the right place. We will love you. We will, as fellow sinners, go to the cross with you. And we will, by the power of the Spirit, link arms and say, we're going to walk in obedience towards glory in our variety of sins, and God will give the variety of grace we need. And if you're here and you know someone that's struggling with this stuff, man, I, I hope you're the place for them because you're the church and that you'd walk in clarity and compassion in a world that is broken and confused. We know it's true. I mean, what a, what a privilege to know what's true. What a privilege to know reality. Women, you can show the beauty of being made as a woman in the image of God. What a gift to the world. 
Men, you can show the goodness of being made as a man in the image of God. We speak and we show the truth and love to a confused, evil, and lost world that desperately wants to know what it is to be precious, to be seen as worthy. We speak and we walk in clarity and compassion that God might have his image reflected and more people might flourish in his good design for the world. Who else? Who else can do this? Like this, by the power of the Spirit, rather than the church. What else? What else can do this? What else can speak this way rather than the church? This is what we're here for. If you're sitting here, like begrudging the cultural moment we're in, like frustrated with the cultural moment we're in, like thumbing your nose and frustrated, just wishing it would all go away, I would just say to you, this is why you're here. You were made for this moment. The church was made for this moment. God is equipping the church in every age, in every place, with every culture to speak the truth in love and clarity and compassion. Say, yes, you're sinful. You'll go to hell for that. But there's a Savior who will draw you to himself and will bring you to eternal joy. Point number two, God calls humans to reign in his creation. So look at verse, second half of verse 26. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. And look at verse 30, and it was so. God does it. So God created all things. God's calling them to fill the earth. Remember when day six, he's still filling, fill the earth with his image. And fill the earth with his image in reigning over this creation. In other words, as they reign and they fill the earth, the goal was that this perfect garden space God had created would be expanded. (laughs) To fill the whole earth with the glory of God. That the whole earth would become the garden. That the whole earth would become the temple. That the whole earth would become God's place where God's people would dwell in God's presence. He gives them dominion, tells them to subdue the fish and the birds and all the living things. Hopefully you can see that all around you, right? You can see ships and submarines and highways and cities and planes and space shuttles, dominion being brought to these various spheres. And to be made in God's image is to be made as if we were sons and daughters of the king. So this is saying to, to, to reign and to, to rule as sons and daughters of the king. Listen to Genesis 5.3 where we get this idea played out even among humanity. It says this in Genesis 5.3, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Right? And if you looked right before then, verses 1 to 2, it recounts, God making Adam in his image. And it says now Adam has Seth and Seth's in his image after his likeness, meaning that's what this whole thing's about. (laughs) The the perpetuation of image bears, the perpetuation of reflections, the perpetuation of God's glory and God's reign through his sons and daughters filling the earth. 
In fact, that's what the whole idea of sonship had in the Old Testament. You're the next in line. All I have is yours. Steward it well. Reign well. Rule well. All I have is yours. Same language and same idea. As sons and daughters, we are to extend the reign of God and bring the glory and righteousness of God to the ends of the earth. We're going to see soon in Genesis that there's overlap between the garden, the pre-sin place where God's people dwell, and the temple, the the post-sin place where God's people can dwell. God's people and God's place to enjoy God's presence. So we have in these human beings is this precursor. We have the, the priests, right? What do priests do? They mediate God's presence to the people. We have the priests and the royal family to mediate God's presence to the world and to extend God's reign. So we've seen human beings are precious. That's the answer to the preciousness question. This is the purpose for which all humans were made. This is it. Those made in his image called to reflect his glory by extending his reign and bringing his presence to the ends of the earth. There is no other purpose that will be big enough for the human soul. This is what we were made for. (laughs) Everything short of this, less of this, is going to feel too small. We've seen that our preciousness is derived from God and so also is our purpose derived from God. God designed it this way. This is how he made it to function. He designed that people would submit to his good reign and enjoy his glorious presence. Notice that he provides all they need to do this in his divine blessing. Right? This isn't more bricks, less straw. This is, you have all I have. You have all the blessing you need. Go and extend my reign. Go and extend my presence. And notice also, it's important to see this from the very beginning, that this is not something man or woman can do alone. Man is not going to fill the earth by himself. And neither will woman. To fulfill this call, male and female, made in the image of God and precious in his sight, have a shared and interdependent mission to fill the earth with the glory of God. Just as the Trinity, three in one, truly three persons, but one God on the same redemptive mission with the same purpose of forming and filling, so it is with males and females made in his image. This is an interdependent mission. There simply cannot be, according to the Bible, any favoritism of either gender or any diminishing of the preciousness, worth, or purpose of either gender from the very beginning. Male and female equal in preciousness and both equally important for the purposes of God, to advance the mission of God, to extend God's reign to the ends of the earth as kings and queens underneath his reign. Kids, let me try to tell you what I mean by all this. I just talked a lot. Does anyone ever tell you that you look like your parents? Right? Sometimes it feels weird, right? Boys are like, you look like your mom. You're like, what? And girls, like, you look, kind of look like your dad. What? But that's how this is. That's how this is. You look like your parents. You're, you're made in their image. Like Seth was made in Adam's image. So you look like them, and don't you have parents, good parents, that give you all you need and want to see you grow up into mature people that change the world, 
Is that what your parents want you to do? Grow up into mature people that change the world. Well, that's what this is like in the beginning with God. We're made in his image. He gives us all we need and he calls us to grow up and live for him and fill the world with his reflection. I remember my mom, every time I walked out the door, used to say, remember who you belong to. Remember who you belong to. This is the purpose all of the world is searching for. This is the reality that is big enough to give every moment and every dollar and every talent we have for. And don't just think big, world-changing things. You are made to bring the rain and the presence of God to bear as you change diapers. As you get glasses of water for your kids in the night. As you're kind to that coworker that's having a rough day. As you help your neighbor rake leaves, as you come alongside the single person, invite them into your home, as you bring the meal to the new mom and dad, as you do all these things, yes, and as you go to the nations, and as you evangelize, and as you, yes, yes, all the big things, but in all these small things, this is what you're doing. Bringing the rain and rule and presence of God to bear on the world, in our homes, in our workplaces in our neighborhoods and to the end of the earth. Point number three, God calls humans to rest in his covenant. Chapter one, verse 31 and chapter two, verse three. Read it with me. I want to read this all together and I wish that there wasn't a chapter break here in the Bible. God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus... The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God finishes this amazing work he's doing. He finishes this forming and filling by his spirit and his word. He looks at the heavens and the earth and everything he's done, and he says, very good. <laughs> it's very good. This is a very good thing that I've done. The world is how it's supposed to be in this moment. God's people, say it with me, in God's place, enjoying God's presence. It's how it's supposed to be. It's very good. The royal family of priests, male and female, are there to show off his image in all of its unity and diversity, to extend his reign and mediate his presence. It's very good. They will fellowship with him. It's very good. They have all they need. It's very good. It's finished. It's very good. And God rests because it's very good. This is the shalom we talked about with God's people and place and presence. I think this is rightly called the creation covenant before sin enters the world. God is with his people reigning over them in perfect peace, in perfect love, in perfect joy before sin. What we found out today is that humans are precious and have purpose made in his image. Humans have their place in the world with their God. This is the reality right here in this passage that every human heart longs for now, whether they know it or not. This moment, this rest, this creation moment. To know they have worth and purpose and a place. And it's all derived in the beginning from God. 
It all comes from him. In this moment of very good, in this rest, and in this moment of shalom, God's people know who they are, why they're created, where they belong. It is finished. Remember those words from anywhere else in the Bible? It's finished. They know they're precious. They have purpose. They have their place. And he has all the glory, right? In this moment, human beings are not going, but I want some of the stage. I want to be important. They're, they're content, happy to just be in the presence of God. And we'll see throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God continues to call his people to celebrate this day of rest, to remember this moment where God is done creating the place where his people dwell in his presence. And as I've thought about it, I think God wants them to remember it because soon after this chapter in Genesis 3, Sin enters the world. Peace is broken. The image has to be restored in some sense, though it's still true. Fellowship is broken and the people have to leave God's place. And therefore the world is full of unrest. And I think God reminds them, do you remember when you were so happy just being dependent on me, just living in my place, just enjoying my presence? Do you remember that? Do you remember that in the midst of the unrest and the brokenness and all of your own striving after other things, all of your own trying to be your own God? And yet the good news we know of the Bible is that God keeps pursuing his people in the muck, in the mire of life. That's the story of Genesis. Right after these first two chapters, it gets a little nasty. It's the story of Genesis that God goes after his people in the muck and the mire. It's the story of all the Bible, actually. And it's actually the story of all of history, isn't it? That God keeps pursuing his people in the brokenness and messiness of life. In light of sin, this very good rest needs to be restored and only God can do it. God must work again to make his image bearers new creations, call them to extend his reign and presence and remind them, you have your place and you have your rest in me. And how does he do that? God speaks a new creation again by his spirit and by the word, which is Jesus, his son, who is what? The image of the invisible God. Who is what? The exact imprint of his nature. That's the one, the perfect image bearer. Jesus created all things in heaven and on earth. Colossians 1.16. He's reconciling all things on earth and in heaven. Where's that phrase from? Heaven and earth, earth and heaven. It's from Genesis 1. That's what God's doing. Through Jesus, through the perfect image bearer, restoring all things in heaven and on earth. And he means for you to hear that phrase and go, it's coming. It's coming. He's the offspring. It's coming. How does he do it? In his body of flesh by his death. Jesus was the perfect Adam. The one perfectly reflecting his father. The one perfectly extending his reign and mediating his presence. Until he died on the cross and said what? It is finished. And Jesus rested from his work. Isn't that what happened? And now, those who trust the finished work of Jesus can be what? God's people. In God's place. With God's presence. 
Those who trust him are to gaze on Jesus, who is the perfect image of God in what? Be changed from one degree of glory to the next into the same image by his spirit. That's what's happening in your life. Those who trust him are called to go and make disciples of all nations, filling the earth with the reign and presence of God, with the promise of the power and presence of King Jesus to go with them. Jesus calls all those who are weary and heavy laden, tired of not understanding their worth or their purpose or their place in the world, tired of striving after a million other things, tired of their sins, to come and find what? Rest for their souls. God tells us that those who have believed entered that rest and can rest from our anxious soul-draining works to earn our salvation. Instead, we find our place in Christ, in his blood-bought family, waiting for the new heavens and new earth, where we will all gather around God's throne as God's people in God's place, forever enjoying his presence. So right now, Here's a new covenant reality for you. Right now, by the finished work of Jesus, we are new creations. New creations. Our sins are forgiven. We have access again to be God's people, enjoying God's presence. By the finished work of Jesus, you can know today your worth is those made and being restored more and more into his image. Right? You don't have to look outside of yourself for worth. You know you're loved. You can stop your anxious search for importance. Stop your anxious search for approval and affirmation and love anywhere other than in Jesus Christ. By the power and presence of Jesus, we're called to fill the earth with his reign and his presence as we go to our neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends. So you can stop your anxious search for purpose. This is what you're made for at your workplace, at Caribou. Starbucks, wherever you go, right? At your home, while you're changing a diaper, while you're making a meal. This is what you're made for every moment. God, help me. Help me fill this place. Extend your reign of righteousness. Mediate your presence to this world, Lord. Help me now as I discipline my kids. Help me now as I comfort my coworker. Help me now as I shovel my driveway with my neighbor. Help me now do this, Lord. Help me be what I'm called to be, a reflection of you. By faith in the finished work of Jesus, we enter into his rest. We can stop our anxious search for our place in life and stop our anxious toil to earn our salvation. It's finished. We belong to Jesus. Our souls can join in the eternal rest of God. And there's a day coming soon when the transformation will be complete. And what will happen? We'll be like him in his image because we'll see him as he is. Isn't that amazing? Right now, look to Jesus, be transformed more and more into the same image. One day, see him in all his glory and be like him. The work will be finished and we'll be a kingdom of priests gathered around the throne declaring he's worthy. God's people in God's place enjoying God's presence forever. Let me pray. So, Lord, we're going to come and eat and drink with you now. You've given us access to be your people, in your place to enjoy your presence. And you tell us in this meal that there's sanctifying 
help, sanctifying grace. So Lord, we confess that so often we, we don't remember who we are. We don't remember that we're made in your image. We don't remember what we're called to do. We are anxious and restless and full of anger and outrage because we are not finding rest in you. And so Lord, we ask for your forgiveness now. Help us remember who we are. Help us remember whose we are. Help us remember what we're called to. And Lord, help us do all these things from a place of rest. Lord, not toiling and struggling as if it's up to us, but resting in you and then giving our lives to be what we already are. So Lord, would you do that in this room? Lord, I don't know the, the burdens and the sins and the brokenness and the struggles in this room, but I am comforted by the fact that you know every single one. And right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can remind this people of yours who they are and whose they are and what their purpose is, and you can grant rest. Lord, I pray you would do that as we come to eat and drink with Jesus. And Lord, if there's any in here right now who we don't yet trust in Jesus, who cannot yet enjoy your presence, Lord, I pray now that you would ask that they would confess their sins and that you'd be faithful and just to forgive their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness, that they would be able to gaze on Jesus and be transformed into his image. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will eat this in the wedding supper of the Lamb. Lord, we will be with you. We will be like you. We will be in your place. We will be at final rest. So it help this moment point to that moment. We long for it with expectation and we pray for your help now in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.